0: I'm Carrie Miller and this is Smart Sex, confident conversation about sexuality for women. This is a Smart Sex Salon where we got together with a guest and a live audience. Today's guest is best-selling writer Peggy Ornstein. Her books include Cinderella Ate My Daughter and Flux. We're here today to talk about her newest book, Girls and Sex. And if you listen to part one of this salon, you heard parents and teens coming clean about how tough it is to talk about sex. In this episode, Peggy has advice about girls and social media, how to talk to your girls about pleasure, and what to say to your daughter about hooking up.
1: One of the things in writing about hookup culture, which I do a lot, that I wanted to surface was not so much telling young women the context in which they should be, engaged in sexual behavior because that wasn't my job, but to tell them what you were likely to get and not get out of it. And what became really clear was that what you would get out of a hookup was um, an adrenaline rush, a warm body, a feeling of being desired for a while, Um, a a story for the morning after recap with your friends, that was a big part of it. What you were less likely to get was good sex, or the tools with which to create good sex or intimacy. And I think that the, the, right now, the media script romanticizes hookups, makes them look you know, like the only source of fun. And, it's an, and, and well, there's a whole other issue of benevolence in hookups, which, which does not right exist. So, so I think that talking to your child, male or female, um, about that reality, um, I'm expecting my own child to read my book and have this discussion with me before high sc- the summer before high school, because that's when that really kicks in. And again, I think it's, you know, it's just having this ongoing, di- honest, open discussion. That's the world your kids are in now. And so that's the world we have to really know, understand, and contend with. There's a, also a great book now called American Hookup by Lisa Wade um, that's about the hookup culture in college. I think it's just outstanding. So what's changed? Well, first of all, what I've seen just in the last few years that I've been doing this work is that is it is the hookup culture moving down in age. So it used to be like a college phenomenon. Now it's a pretty strong high school phenomenon. And you even hear a little bit with middle schools. And by and so so let's talk about this for a second. The word hookup. Um, does, so hookup means sexual behavior in which no strings are attached. Does anybody know what happens when people hook up? Like what you do when you hook up with somebody? Because it's meaningless, it's a meaningless word. It could mean you kissed the person, it could mean you had oral sex with the person, it could mean you had, inter- it could mean any old thing. And it's intentionally ambiguous so that young people will overest- do overestimate, not will, but do overestimate what their peers are, are doing. Because if you say, hey, I hooked up with somebody last night, you don't know what that person did. Um, so in fact, um, a third of hookups in college are, just, are, are kissing, a third are manual and oral, se- or oral sex, and a third are intercourse. And in college, um, I think it's 20% of kids have had 10 or more hookup partners by the time they're seniors, but 25% have never hooked up. And for the rest, the average number of partners over the course of four years is seven. So it's not exactly the fall of Rome out there, but there's a perception reality gap for kids. They think that everybody else is doing it. They think everybody else wants to be doing it. And some of the girls did. Some of the girls were you know, very clear that they wanted to be, they were not victims of hookup culture. You know, They wanted to be here. But, but it's not happening in the way that it's being communicated is happening. And I think understanding that is also helpful to young, young people who may feel insufficient if they don't want to participate in that culture, or somehow inadequate or wrong if that's not their thing. Um, so I think it's important to put some reality on it. And the other thing that's changed is that young people didn't invent casual sex, obviously, but this idea of the hookup culture, it's not you know, having a casual interaction, which is the, the normalized idea that sex should proceed rather than derive from intimacy. And, that most relationships start with a hookup even if most hookups don't lead to relationships. So that's what has really changed. And that's something to all, all of that, I think, and all of that I discuss in the book is something that you can kind of absorb and talk to your child about.
0: But you know, in, in Peggy, reality. as I'm listening to you talk about what the girls said about why they hooked up, I'm thinking check, check, check. I mean, in college, after college, you know, we didn't call it the hookup culture, but we did it. Is there anything, I'm speaking for all of us now, aren't yeah. I? Um, just go oh, with that. The royal we, right, you're doing? Right, right? Um, I mean, is there, is it, there's just more girls participating? What is really different from what I was doing in college and, you know, for a few years after
1: college? Um, it has a name. You're right. <laughs> for one thing. I mean, is that really It's it? recognized. Uh, and also I, I do think that, there, that, I think, you are younger than I am, but that when you were in college no, perhaps um, the, um, the kind of expected or, or um, the kind of the sanctioned idea of sex was more in a relationship and then that, the casual interactions were sort of the exception rather than them being the pathway to the relationship. Would that be correct for you, or not so much?
0: Uh, yeah, maybe you were about early Carrie, so. yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe you were an early <laughs> adapter. adopter. Yeah, I don't uh, know. Okay, yeah. back to the questions from the audience now.
1: <laughs> yes, ma'am. And the interviewer is interviewed. <laughs>
2: Uh, so, I know you've talked about um, the discussion about uh pleasure between parent and child, but thinking more about my experience uh communicating about pleasure between partners, uh like you said, it's easier for girls to understand each other that's evident, but between in a heterosexual uh encounter, you know, I had one time where I told this guy you know most pleasure comes from the clitoris actually not like the G spot as everyone thinks he's like wait really you know it's this mystical thing that they've never heard about like some magic unicorn you know Um, so how how would you recommend kind of increasing that communication and education um, especially between heterosexual uh, encounters
1: well you know ideally you would have sex education and that would really help wouldn't it um So it's hard when somebody has had no education or communication, yeah, this thing, like this, so you just kind of toss that out there, everybody thinks it's the G-spot. I don't know if you all are aware as adults that that's what young people think now. So I was talking to a boy the other day for my boy book and he said, and he has a girlfriend and he has learned that this is not the case, and he said, yeah, all these guys that I know, they think that what you're supposed to do is stick your finger inside of a girl and go like that, and that that's going to get them off. But that's kind of like sticking your finger in their cheek and blowing. this, it turns out, and it's like yes, it is. Good man. Um, so I have yet to ha- to talk to a boy who has had any significant education. I mean, there's lots of resources out there, you know. For there's there's like Heather Karina. Um, who does Scarlet Teen, um, which is a great online resource, also has a book, S-E-X, the All-You-Need Progressive Guide to Getting Through High School and College, or something like that, which, like, if you could just... You know, or, or or you had Emily Nagoski. Yeah. Right. Right. I think every young, every not just young, everybody, yes. male and female, should read the book. Come as you are. That's which our explains... first salon and our first podcast, by the way. Yeah. yeah or just great. listen to the podcast. Watch Emily's TED Talk. Give it to your boyfriend because really, what guy? Every that that guy's every partner he has from then on on, on out will thank you we having shown him that.
0: <laughs> Question here from a middle middle school teacher.
3: Yes. Um, basically, I just wanted to share too, and I wanted to share. Um, I have a forty one year old son, and I did have the conversation with him. But it was after a while getting my license, and we did uh, youth development. You know, we understand that humans are sexual beings, so that comes naturally for you know, humans that wanna, you know, engage in sex. But I grew up in a Baptist family, so, you know, sex was taboo, so I grew up that way, but it was the two-sided family. My father's family was the family of preachers, you know, no, you know, stay away, you don't. But my uh, on my maternal side, you know, it was kinda of like, yeah, you know, so we had the conversations. So I thought with my son, I better have the conversations with him so it was kind of like you know you have you talk and you understand and it's linked to intimacy and love and so on and so forth and then of course you know talk to father uncles and have the conversation so we did we started having the conversations and of course my mother and everybody was looking like wow what's going on why is everybody talking you know oh, we don't want to hear it Uh, uh." you know it's like don't talk around us you know but so the generation now they're actually having the conversation but in the classroom uh... my seventh graders on mondays it's just the girls that are telling me what's going on over the weekends and the young men they really are quiet they're not the busy ones so my suggestion to parents if you have young ladies they're the ones that are the busybodies and the ones having the conversations i don't know i don't think they're really doing anything like you said you know i got the hookup it's a lot of talk but and I, I think it can, like you say, be a gateway into something. But right. and it's, it young, creates it's the an environment. young ladies more so than the young guys, because I look at the young guys and they talk, but those guys aren't really doing anything just yet.
1: Yeah. And it does, when, when they talk, it creates that environment. But you know, one of the, another thing about the boys that, uh, one of the things that we need to do, I feel, is to shift some of the language that we use around sex. So I was sitting in on a class, um, where they were talking about that baseball metaphor, you know, that we all learn, you you know, you go around the bases. and, And one of the boys raised his hands, he was a 10th grader, and said, you know, I never thought about it before, but in baseball, there's winners and losers. So who's supposed to be the loser in sex? And it was such an interesting moment for me because I thought, you know, I don't know, maybe it won't change, but it felt to me like that was a profound shift in that boy's thinking and that from whether his encounters were going to last 20 minutes or 20 years, he was going to go into them less as an adversary and more as a partner and less seeing girls' limits as a challenge that he's supposed to get over in order to score.
0: But I mean,
1: I mean isn't that what the culture tells constantly them. tells us? Right, them? so let me give you a metaphor to replace it with. Right. Um, Al Vernacchio, who's a um, wonderful sex educator in Pennsylvania, uh, came up with the pizza metaphor, and that's this idea that sex is like a pizza. And I mean, even the line, even just doing this is different than doing that. You know, it's like a, a round metaphor because because when you go out to pizza with somebody, you first you decide if you're going to have pizza, then you negotiate the toppings, right? And maybe I want. Mushrooms and you want pepperoni, and so we go halfsies, or maybe we have mushrooms this time and pepperoni next time, or maybe if you keep insisting on pepperoni and I keep kosher, I'm not going to go out for pizza with you anymore. <laughs> um, you know, it's like, it's all about this shared experience and about this give and take, and everybody's invested in the other diner's pleasure, and you would never shove pizza down somebody's throat. That would be really weird, you know, and it's, it's a much more... Um, cooperative, communicative metaphor and I always say for girls in particular, I've added this to Al's metaphor, it's a very stretchy metaphor, um, that girls have a tendency to um, kind of go along to get along, so if somebody says, you know, like, what movie do you, you know, the guy says, what movie do you want to see, They're like, whatever you want to see, you know, what do you, what do you want to know, whatever you want to know, if you girls in the audience tonight If you don't negotiate your pizza toppings, you're going to end up with green pepper on your pizza. (laughs) And nobody wants green pepper on their pizza, so you just got to learn to speak up. You're listening to
0: A Smart Sex Salon with best-selling author Peggy Ornstein. I'm Carrie Miller, and we have a live audience of parents and some brave teens here. Peggy's newest book, Girls and Sex, has a lot to say about how sexuality is being shaped by social media. One parent wanted to know how she should talk to her kids about social media and hooking up.
2: A couple questions ago got to how do you communicate needs in the absence of sex ed, and then before her, I think someone had brought up Snapchat. And so for women and girls who are getting private access to communications earlier and younger, um, I think a lot of adult women find that sexting is a great way in advance of a sexual encounter to talk about and communicate and fantasize about what your comforts are, what you might be looking for, and give that kind of advance hint of like, no, I there is no such thing as that gesture you did and in fact it's the clit. Uh, but you also don't want your 9-year-old snapchatting things and not understanding what the ramifications are. So when ch-
1: shouldn't be on snapchat. Right. So I'm, my I'm dear. wondering
2: how do you uh, I was my uh preteen niece was installing apps on her phone and Snapchat was one of the things, I think she's 10, and so I tried to introduce this concept of what can happen on Snapchat, what you should and shouldn't be sending, and realizing that's not a script that I'm familiar with having, maybe looking at slightly older crowds, what, how would you communicate the benefits and the potential risks of using electronic communication to um, have sexual encounters? I
1: really do think You have to limit, (laughs) social media and young kids is a bad combination. Social media and middle school kids is a bad combination. Bad, bad, bad combination. Um, They do not have, even a mature middle school kid does not have the impulse control or the prefrontal cortex development to be able to that one time stop themselves from sending the thing they shouldn't send. So I think you can talk you're blue in the face to a middle school student but the truth is they shouldn't have social media. I mean the truth is it's really I, I, I just I really believe I'll go out on this. I don't believe you have it um, by high school I think you can't really hold that line too well anymore and then you just you have to have a lot of conversations and access I think you know potentially to your child's social media so that you make sure that they Aren't using it in a... I pro- I mean, they, if they're going to have sexual conversations on social media, when should they be having those? I don't know. You know, this stuff was just coming up when I was writing the book, so they weren't talking about it a lot yet. It's more of a conversation I'm having with boys. But you're right that they use it that way, and it's a, it, and, and that flirtation, um, sexual come-ons, sending naked pictures, all of that stuff is is pretty common. So. I think it's just another area as parents where we have to talk about our values and our expectations and also the concerns about what can happen to anything that you send over social media as well. So I know that um, I've had a lot of conversations with boys lately about um, naked pictures of girls that, like we've talked, I'll say, so do you ever share porn links with your friends? And they say, no, that would be weird. That would be really, people would think you were really weird if you did that. I said, what about pictures, naked pictures of girls that you get? And they say, oh, well, yeah, that we show each other all the time. (laughs) And I don't know that the girls, maybe some of the girls expect that, maybe they don't, I don't know, but that to them feels personal, and, like, that's just for them, so they feel like they're showing it off. But girls need to know that (laughs) that that's happening, and they don't seem to so much, so that concerns me, but... Yeah, I'm not really answering your question. I haven't figured that one totally out yet myself because I think it's a moving target, but I do think that we have to be aware that that's how they're using it for sure.
0: You know, I was curious about how many of you in the audience have kids that are within a couple years of going off to college. Okay, so mostly younger kids. I'm wondering, what worries you the most about your kids moving into high school and then headed off to college when it comes to sexuality. Yes, ma'am. I think,
2: you know, in teaching my daughter about sex and pleasure and everything, my biggest fear was I don't want her to get pregnant. And my biggest fear with my boy is that I don't want him to get accused of sexual assault or of receiving pornography and then forwarding it and then becoming a registered sex offender at 15. And it's very difficult to teach it's been difficult for me to teach consent because he's only 15 and hasn't had a girlfriend yet, but I'm I'm struggling for the, the way to properly teach it, teach consent because it is all along the way. It's not Mm -hmm. just, do you want to have sex? Yes. Okay. Let's go for it because a girl can change her mind midstream. And then where are you? So how, how do you, and I hope you're covering that in your new book. It's I'm a big really part of it. Really looking it's forward to it. It's a big, all. big
1: part of it is consent. And, and it's interesting. You know, I, I think this is language that we're learning too, along with our kids. And this idea that boys, parents of boys are afraid they'll be accused of sexual assault is kind of a, is, is, is a new thing too. Um, and there's different aspects of that. One is, a girl is drunk, you don't do it. You know, I mean, that's, it's, there will be other opportunities. A drunk, per, you know, if a drunk person cannot consent, by definition, let it go. And I think that that actually may change some of the culture on campuses, that that has to happen now, that maybe that will reduce the drunken hookup situation, because, you know, if you've had seven shots, I you pro, you're, it's probably not a good idea for your son to be, pursuing a sexual liaison with somebody he doesn't know super, 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 super well. That would not be a great idea anymore. Or even that he does know super well. Um, but there's so many, the consent education is being developed now all over the place. I live in California and it's now mandatory in high schools to have consent education. And I'm talking to boys who've, and girls who've been through consent education curricula and they understand it. They're really on the cutting edge of being able to articulate what it means, what it is, what it looks like, in ways that we've never thought of because we didn't grow up with it. So I really believe that, you know, as time goes on and more people are, have access to consent curricula, um, that it will be better understood. They, you know, the boys that I'm talking to are really wrestling with these issues in really, um, I think, positive ways. I'm, I'm very excited about what I'm hearing from a lot of the boys around these things. Um, Not to mention one thing that I hadn't thought about with the boys is that a lot of them have mothers or sisters or friends who've been sexually assaulted, and that has a profound impact on them. And now that women are more willing to come out and tell their stories, mothers are telling their sons, you know, sisters are telling their brothers, friends are telling their friends, and it becomes much more real for a young man when he hears those stories. And, he, and that really, I think, transforms his ideas about consent as well. So I think that's been a really important piece that I've seen. There's also a really great resource. It's kind of racy, I wouldn't say it's explicit, but um, is this on the, yeah, is this, I was just thinking, I was pausing because I was thinking, is this on the radio? Uh, let's just say, I can't remember if- No, it, if, it's a podcast.
0: So I can, can swear.
1: Yes OK. It's called, it's called Please uh, Do." It's called "Fuck Yes." But, but it's, you can also get an F-Astra, CKS." Yes. And it's on YouTube, um, and it's a series that shows different scenarios, some same-sex, some different sex uh, or other sex scenarios, um, that, that, uh, that shows scenarios in which consent is, is given and, and, and received, that are very sexy. So it eroticizes consent in a really wonderful way, which is, I think, also what needs to happen. Um, so I would recommend taking a look at that. Peggy, you just said something pretty interesting there. That... Fuck yes? No. Oh. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> That consent can be and should be eroticized. Yeah, by... I mean, there's, this,
1: there's this idea that I think is promulgated by people who don't actually understand the concept of consent, because <laughs> it's often, well, let's not get, go there, but anyway, that, you know, Oh, we're talking about taking a contract out and signing it, and you know all this kind of stuff, as opposed to, hey, you okay? Still good? How's this feel? Feel good? You know, I mean, there's ways to, to, ask for consent and to communicate. It's about you know learning to communicate, and that's the piece that we, when we don't have language to talk about sexuality, we don't have language to talk about um, consent. We don't have language to talk about mutual pleasure. How can we possibly expect our young people to be able to have those conversations?
0: Boy, that's really good, really good. Peggy, um, I'm really grateful that we have some younger women in the audience tonight. I thought what we could do is, we've gone about an hour, I thought we could take some questions from some of the younger people in the audience, and then we'll, and then we'll uh, go on with the program, if that's cool. So.
2: Um, uh, So, I'm a ninth grader, and I recently got Snapchat a couple months back in September. And my friends, like, they were friends with somebody at a different school, and they gave him my Snapchat. And we started talking, and we liked each other, but I didn't know who he was. I've never met him in real life, but I knew that he was real. And my friends, like, we started, like, role-playing and I really didn't know what I was doing. Like I learned most of it from my friends or like people at school. But then I kind of got caught up and like addicted basically to Snapchat and I kept doing stuff that wasn't age appropriate for myself because I'm only 15. And I learned a lesson that if you don't know who you're talking to, it could be anybody and you shouldn't be doing that. Oh,
1: good. important. I'm sorry you had to learn that, but that's very important.
2: Hi. Um,
0: One last question.
2: Hi. Um, I'm 16, and I've never had a boyfriend. But a lot of my friends, you know, had boyfriends or like had a thing with somebody. And almost immediately, with almost every single relationship that I've seen, it's been a send nudes or um, oh, I hooked up with them like
0: just a little bit, or I've I've known them for like a week, but like we've gone all the way,
2: kind of a thing. And um, it's, I guess my question kind of is, with, with the guys who've like already been through the limited sex ed that we've had at schools, um, do I have hope? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: this is what's been really interesting for me. One of the things, I'll just give you like a sneak peek, the, the things that I've been talking to boys about is that I don't think the hookup culture is serving them very well either. And I'm getting a lot of boys who say to me, you know, my first, I really regret my first, exper- my first sexual experiences with somebody that, it was just an opportunity and, you know, now I'm with somebody I really care about and I feel kind of badly about that experience. Or boys will say, now that I've been in a real loving, caring, communicative relationship, I, you know, I would never go back to that hookup scene that was, you know, I didn't even understand... So I, I, I think that they too are on a learning curve that I wish they didn't have to be on so much, but they're also struggling with these issues and struggling with pressures around them that push them to behave a particular way or to think a certain thing is fun or to believe you're supposed to be a certain way, but that, for a lot of the guys, that that's not necessarily really what they are going to feel good about either, and that the, the hope, I think, is in surfacing that for them as well. Peggy. Wow.
0: I mean, I I feel like we, I I am really appreciative of your graciousness to come and visit the Twin Cities, where she grew up, by the way. See family, but come here and field all the questions and share your research and your insight and your knowledge with us. Thank you. It's my
1: great pleasure. Thank Thank you for having me. Thank you. Really good to you.
0: Smart Sex was created by Teresa McFarland and me, Carrie Miller. We're grateful to the amazing Peggy Ornstein for being our guest at this salon. Our thanks to our salon sponsors Lakes Dermatology, Whitney Emanuel, a financial advisor offering investment advisory services through Eagle Strategies, Stephanie Chandler of Edina Realty, and Samantha Strong, eco broker and contractor and owner of Metamorphosis. You can find all of our Smart Sex podcasts in including what really happens in a sex therapist's office and so much more at smartsex.org.